Dark and difficult times lie ahead. Soon there will come a time where all of us must decide between doing what is easy and what is right. Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> or the words of the Apostle Paul, be very careful then how you live, not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We live in evil times, and it seems that our culture is even pressing us into more darkness. So what are we to do as God's people? We are being hit on all sides of culture, of secular pools, right, and believing the, the lies of, of false idols. Uh, we feel this in, in our families. We feel this in our community. We feel this in our world through the internet, through social media, through the news and, and television. We are hit with these idols of, of alcohol and, and drugs, of sex, of money, of career success, of social media and identity. But how do we as God's people navigate this? How do we focus on what really, really matters? How do we faithfully serve God? And we want to do this as sons and daughters. We want to do this as husbands and wives, men and women, uh, fathers and mothers. And we are going to be looking over the next three weeks uh, the life of, of King Josiah. And what we're going to find is that all of this starts in the heart. All of this starts in the heart. Jesus talks about that what comes out of the mouth is from the heart. But even our actions, the things we do, it starts in our hearts, and we're going to see that, and thankfully, we serve and worship a God who cares deeply about your heart and shaping it to follow him and to love him. And as we enter in this three-week series, I just want to set up some context. So before we read the scripture, uh, I'm going to bring us some context of where we're at. So God's people, they, they enter the promised land, and uh, things are going fairly well, and then things don't go so well, right? That's kind of the story of God's people, but now th they say, we want a king, they're looking at all these other nations that have an earthly ruler. And they're like, we, we want that. We want the military prowess. We want the political influence. And so they go to the prophet Samuel and say, hey, we, we're demanding that you give us a king. And so uh, the prophet Samuel, you can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 8. He, he goes to God and he, he's upset about this. He's like, God, I don't know what to do. They want a king. And God says, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as king. Give them a king. Right? It's a terrifying thought when God uh, allows us to do what's not good for us. And so God says, okay, that's fine. And so King Saul comes in. Uh, King Saul, he reigns for 40 years. And here's a little map that can help give you a picture. Uh, Saul's actually not in here, but just imagine uh, King Saul right underneath David there. And, and King Saul, good king or bad king? In fact, let's play a little game. Take your thumb. Everyone hold your thumb out like this. If, if you have a thumb, I'm asking you to participate. Okay. We're going to go over a couple kings, and if they're good, you put your thumb up, and if they're bad, you put their thumb down. King Saul, good king or bad king? Bad king, correct. <laughs> bad king, cared more about, him, more about himself than about God. And then God raises up David. David, good king or bad king? Good king. Perfect king? No. Murderer, adulterer, but a man after God's own heart, and he establishes proper worship of God in Israel. It's beautiful. And then he has a son, uh, King Solomon, good king or bad king? Yeah, you feel the tension, right? Starts out good, ends bad. 
right? Starts out setting up the temple where God's Shekinah glory would dwell, God's presence. It's amazing, uh, the glory of the temple. And then uh, has a thousand wives and concubines, which lead to all sorts of false worship, setting up altars for false gods, and it's devastating. And what you see here is is a split. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, which are 10 of the 12 tribes, and then you have the southern kingdom of Judah, which are two tribes. And the northern kingdom Israel has about 19 kings, and all of them are bad dudes. And the southern kingdom Judah has about 20 kings, and we're told that about eight of them are good. But there's this downward trajectory of God's people into false worship. There are good kings who try to uh, revive and make things right, but they don't quite capture it. And now we come to King Josiah. He's one of the last kings of Judah in the seventh century BC. He encounters God. He responds by following what matters in life, and he allowed God to shape his heart which impacted his life, but also an entire generation. He's considered one of Judah's best kings, if not the very best. He's the only king that said he did not uh, go aside to his right or to his left, which is what God instituted in Deuteronomy 7.20. God wanted his people to focus on what really, really matters. And so in this series, I hope you have so many takeaways. I hope it's just so revealing of God's truth and his word to you in your life. But there's three big picture items we're gonna see today that a loving God, he wants to have an encounter with you. And he wants you to respond in humility and repentance today. And, and next week that we can renew our commitment to God and destroy false idols in our lives. These idols that promise to give life but they never do can actually be destroyed you can have victory. And then the last week, we're going to see that we can restore proper worship, giving all of our praise, all of our affections to God. In this amazing story of King Josiah and his people, we're going to see that these people were utterly helpless, and yet they are revived into a thriving worship community. The same can happen to us today, Fox Valley. Amen? Amen. Amen. The main idea today is encountering the living God leads to a responsive heart encountering the living God who is living and active right now in this moment leads to a responsive heart. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, God, as we uh, go into your holy scriptures, we just sang about how holy you are. God, you are above all things. Everything we do when we gather in worship is ultimately to point to you and your glory. We love you, God. Would you be glorified in everything that takes place this morning? God, would I discern your spirit And following after you, God, even as I plan the message, would I be willing to pivot if you so call me to, Lord? We submit all this to you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. If you're able to get your Bible out, turn to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. I think it's the 12th book of the Bible, um, and so it's, it's pretty early on. 2 Kings 22, and one of the things that we do when we read scripture is have you stand. And the reason is because we honor God's word. It's the first value at our church. The preeminence of God's word, right, stands and falls on this book right here. I'm going to break our text up into four scriptures, and I'm not going to make you play musical chairs this morning, but you are going to see as we go about our our text today how valuable and important uh, this book is. So starting with verses 1 and 2, of chapter 22 of 2 Kings. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedida, the daughter of Adaiah of Bozkoth, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. 
I, I want to go ahead and pause here because, yes, you heard that correctly. He became king at eight years old. At eight years old, his father was killed. His father was King Amon, who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And his grandfather is King Manasseh, who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they're not in our text. But if you go back to the previous couple chapters of 2 Kings, you can read more about their lives and how uh, terrible of a job they did in ruling for God's people. Um, king Manasseh is described as doing more evil than any of the other kings that preceded him. And King Amon is actually the name of an Egyptian god. So here you have uh, Judah's king, God's people's king, named after uh, a god of Egypt. It just goes to show how far uh, things had fallen for the people of God. And if you read the Second Chronicles 34 account of King Josiah and his life, you read that when he was at the age of 16 he started following in the ways of his father David. It's actually, there's something that happens when he's at the age of 16, he starts following after God. But surely it's not because of his dad's, right? Didn't come from good parental stock, at least from his dad and from his grandfather. But could his mom, who is mentioned, Jedidah, been a faithful influence in his life? I don't think that's too much speculation. So moms, dads, let me just ask, does anyone have an eight-year-old in here? Raise your hand if you have an eight-year-old. Quite a few. Can you see your eight-year-old uh, being the king? <laughs> How about the president of the United States, right? <laughs> no, it's a terrifying thought. But you play such a critical role in developing your kids and having a godly influence in who they're going to become. All right, let's keep reading. In verse uh, 3. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house." So what's happening here? We have a little bit of an age uh, change. So fast forward. He's in the 18th year of his reign. He became king at age eight. So how old is King Josiah? 26. Congratulations. Good job. He decides to work on and restore the temple when he's 26 years old. Now, the temple had been in a ruin. It, it was in rubble. It's been terribly neglected. In fact, the last time we read in scripture that it's been worked on was about 250 years before when King Joash repairs it. Now, think about 250 years ago from today. I think that puts us in the 1700s. I think about if Fox Valley was not worked on, right? Our worship space, how neglected it would be, how much in ruin it would be. Now, why is this significant? Because when I first read the text, I, was, I, I didn't quite grasp it. I'm going to be honest. I didn't quite grasp the significance of this. But it's significant because this is where God's presence lived, the temple was the house of God, and the holy of holies, God's Shekinah glory dwelled there, and it had been neglected, right? If the people were to encounter God, to understand what covenantal life with God meant, following after God's commands, living in God's promises, they needed the temple to do it. Without a, a temple functioning, there's no sacrifices, there's, there's no proper priesthood, there's no proper worship, and the king knew this. And this would not have been easy work, and it would not have been uh, popular work, but it was the right work, and he does it. Let's jump to, to verse 8. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. 
And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes and the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. What was lost is now found. We can all relate to, to missing something, to, to finding something of, of both uh, not a lot of worth and of great worth, right? I'm going to show my, my stage of life a little bit, but there are times when I go to clean my kids' car seats and I find all kind of stuff I'm not looking for, right? Cheerios, Cheez-Its, you name the different types of snacks, right? They're in there. Or, or maybe I'm vacuuming the carpet and I find a bottle of uh, milk in a sippy cup that has been there for days, weeks, months, don't really know, not excited to clean that out, right? But there's other times when we find something of great value, money, or, or a check that's been missing. Or for some of us, it might even be like a sillier possession, but we finally find something we've been longing for. Or maybe we find something we didn't even know about. And that's what happened here. They found the book of the law. They found uh, large chunks of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. There is no greater possession that could be found than the Bible, And we don't know how long it had been lost in there, how long it had been missing in the rubble of the temple, maybe 100 years, maybe 200 years. But the point is, God's word, what describes uh, walking with him, wasn't even available to the people of God. I think of Joshua 1.8, which was uh, hundreds of years before. Do not let this book of the law depart from your lips. Meditate on it day and night that you may be very careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I just have to give a, a shout out to our senior pastor, Pastor Tom, who does an amazing job at keeping our staff and our church focused on God's word. It's so important. And I would not, yes, amen. I would not care as much about this book as I do today if it wasn't for him. Meditate on it day and night. That's not what the people were doing. They didn't even have it. They didn't have access to it. But it's read to King Josiah, and he has this encounter with God when he hears the book. And my first point this morning is we encounter the living God through the word of God. We encounter the living God through the word of God. You can say a lot about the days in which you and I live in. You could say a lot of negative things. We just talked about some of the evil things that are happening. We have so much access, bad access, but good access. You, more than any other generation, or we, I should say, we have more access to biblical content than ever before. You have more access to commentaries, to uh, sermons, through worship videos, devotionals, blogs, podcasts, you name it. Let me just ask you, How is that serving your obedience to God? How is that impacting your walk with Jesus Christ? Are you encountering God when you read this, or do you just take it for granted? Hebrews 4, chapter chapter 4, verse 12, a popular verse, but just hear it with fresh ears. We need to do that sometimes when we read scripture. This is what it says. 
Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God has such power, but how are we to encounter God through it if we're not meditating on it? Some of you don't meditate on scripture And I really think this is true. Some of you don't meditate on scripture because you're actually scared of what it will speak into your life. You're actually afraid that God might call you to do something or stop doing something when you read it. And I'll be the first one to own that. I mean, I think of a time when when I was in college, I was living in sin and I did not want to read God's word because I knew exactly what it was going to tell me to do. And I didn't want it. And we fear of what God might call us to do. I, I want to read this, uh, this Danish uh, theologian quote. His name's Soren Kinkegaard, and uh, he's from the 19th century. And here's what he says. And you, you have permission to laugh if you want, okay? Throughout the whole sermon. Uh, the Bible is very easy to understand. I'm not going to use a Danish accent. The Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we're obliged to act accordingly. Ignorance is bliss? I don't think so. Paul says in Romans 14, all of us are going to have to give an account for our life. And do you trust that God's plan for your life is actually best? That's a question to really meditate on. Do I trust what what God's word says and what he's going to speak to me through his spirit is actually best? Now, I'm not saying everything in Scripture is very easy to interpret and understand, and we all should know Hebrew and Greek, or we're a bunch of lame people. I'm not saying that. Don't, don't overstate uh, this here, but, but hear it for what it is. It's that the actual big story of God is pretty simple. Our kids understand it, right? There's all these picture books that talk about it, and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the implications for our life are actually pretty easy to understand. It's whether we will embrace them. I think that's where some people here fall this morning. Another camp would be some of you maybe don't understand Scripture, and that's why you don't meditate on it. You actually try at least some, but you're not using all the tools at your disposal, one being the Holy Spirit. And John Piper says this, if God lives in you, nothing in the Bible is above you. If God lives in you, nothing in the Bible is above you. Paul tells Timothy that the Lord will give you understanding in everything So you want to understand scripture better. Here are just three steps. This is not the easy track. These are three steps to just think about. The first one is this. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. Do you pray before you read your Bible? Do you pray before you read your Bible? And there's some controversy around this idea of actually praying to the Holy Spirit. But God is a triune God. He's in relationship with himself. And it is the Holy Spirit's job and role to make the scriptures clear for you. However you want to pray to God, pray that the Holy Spirit would actually give you insight to understand. In John 14, 26, Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit is our helper who teaches us and reminds us of truth. That is a chief role. Use him. Uh, Second thing is spend enough time with God. This is so trivial. It's so simple, but, but it can't be unsaid. It needs to be said. Do you spend five minutes with God and try to understand Ezekiel chapter 34? Right? Do, do you listen to an audio chapter of the Bible as you're driving distracted and expect to soak in and dwell in God's word? That it would dwell in you richly, as, as Kate just shared with us earlier? 
from Colossians 3.16, you have to decide on your own what God is calling you to actually, how much time. But spend, I would say, at least 30 minutes with God's word. Uh, The next thing is rely upon the body of Christ. Universally and locally, right? The universal body of Christ. There are so many theologians, commentators who have made God's word easier to understand. Do you need to be careful? Yes, not all info is good. Be careful. Ask your pastors, is this a good site? Is this a good person uh, to follow? But there's so much There's so much out there. And then just in this church alone, we have so many godly men and women who know the word, who want to come alongside you and help you understand. Find a mentor. Find a, a, a women's study to go to or a men's study to go to. Get in a life group. There are people here to help you grow in Christ, right? Let me just say, excuses Excuses stop today when it comes to not reading your Bible. Excuses stop today. I've already said there is no length, there is no length at which we will not go to to help you understand the Word of God. There is no length. And King Josiah, he encounters God through the Word and he responds. He realizes his truth and he tears his clothes off. If you're a visual person like me, my first thought was I hope he was wearing undergarments, right? at least a loincloth or something. He, he, tears, he tears his garments off. He rips his clothes apart, which seems like such a dramatic response. But isn't that what a holy God and encountering a holy God and his holy word result in? And I think about Isaiah 66, 5. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble. You who tremble. And all we have to do is, is think back in scripture, look at scripture of how many people encounter God and they're just undone. They're undone. And that's what happens with King Josiah. Maybe part of, of what Shaphan read in the book of the law was Deuteronomy 17. I went back and, and read part of Deuteronomy to try to understand and hear for the first time what was the king hearing that would cause this response. And in Deuteronomy 17, it talks about anyone that worships, worships a false god was to be taken outside of the city and stoned to death. Like he's hearing this and saying, I have sinned. My, my people have sinned against the holy God who has wrath against sin. And he's wrecked. And then he goes to find out, what, where, where do we stand? That's what he does. He, he says to Hilkiah, the high priest, you know, find out where we stand. Things aren't looking good. Is it really as bad as I think? Please go to a prophet. Let's, let's pick up here and, and end our text this morning. In verse 14. Uh, so Hilkiah, the priest, and Ahikam, and Akbor, and Shaphan, and Isaiah went to hold of the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Okay, pause. Quick side note. I love that. Keeper of the wardrobe. We need to add uh, something in the serving wall out there. If anyone wants to be the ministry leader of keeper of the wardrobe, I just think that's amazing. Okay, uh, let's, let's go back. Sorry for that distraction. Uh, keeper of the wardrobe. Now, she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her, and she said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is Holda speaking, I tell the man who you sent who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon the place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you. 
declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought word uh, back to the king. We get this report from Hulda. Hulda is one of four female prophets that we read about in Scripture. And I, I just have to take this as, as a moment to thank the women at Fox Valley Church, many of whom are like Hulda. You hear from God. I have been a benefactor of you speaking into my life, speaking into my wife's life. My wife is actually one of those people speaking into other people's life. Thank you. People think of Fox Valley Church as a church that hears from God, and you are a big, a big reason why. Thank you for being like Hulda. In verse 16, we read that God's bringing judgment, right? Nothing is going to stop it, but the heart response of a king delays it. Nothing is going to stop it, but King Josiah delays it because of one person who has a responsive heart to God. You know, Josiah, there's not a lot said about him. What his strengths were, what, his, what his, all of his qualities were, we don't hear about how wise he was. We don't hear about the military and, and all that was happening. But what we do hear is that he is a great king because he responded to God and God cares about our hearts. He knows that's where transformation starts and he gets a hold of Josiah's heart and it brought him to humility and repentance. A second point this morning is, is the word of God brings us to humility and repentance. It makes us bow low knowing who God is and who we are. Like Josiah, he recognized his position. He is God, I am not. I may have a title king on this earth. He, he is king. He reigns in heaven. And that, that Greek word for humility, it actually, it refers to making oneself low, like being low to the ground. And I, I don't know about you, but one thing that I do from time to time is I actually get on my knees, right? And, and we know in the Old Testament, so much of, of worship was, has a physical response to it. We're interconnected beings. What we do with our bodies matters significantly. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll actually get on on my hands and knees, and I might as well just do it now. I didn't plan on doing this, but I'll get down here like this, and I'll, I'll get as low as I can to the ground, something to the effect of this. And I, I put my head against the ground, and I'll just worship God. I'll worship him. There is something about actually being physically low that humbles me to a great, great God. Usually I'll sing, I'll worship even the Bible alone, reading scripture and your desire to read scripture is a matter of humility. Do you think you need this? Or do you think you're good? First uh, Peter 5, 6 says to humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Isn't that beautiful? We also read in James that when we oppose, or when we're proud, we make an enemy of God. But God gives grace to the humble. We all want grace. You want grace? Practice humility. And King Josiah is going to practice humility, and God is going to raise him up. Uh, the text also said that Josiah's heart was penitent. This Greek word is, is to mean tender. His heart was tender. He felt godly grief for what was happening, and that led him to repentance. And I, I want to take a moment to differentiate between uh, confession and repentance, and I think it might actually be helpful in our context and in what we're studying God's word that there is, there is a difference, and it may seem subtle. And I don't, I don't want to take it to some legalistic point, but, but just listen to it. I, I think it's helpful. And that's this. Confession is acknowledging wrongdoing. 
we're, we're pretty good at this. I, I think for the most part, as people, as human beings, as Christians, we're pretty good at this. And it's good, it is good to acknowledge wrongdoing. But what's not good is that many times we acknowledge wrongdoing when we've been caught. We've been caught doing something we're not supposed to do, but we actually have no intention of changing. We just don't like the consequences. Right? Paul tells us that worldly grief leads to death. He says that in 2 Corinthians 17. This is what worldly grief is. I feel bad about the consequences of what I've done, but I have no intention to change my pattern of life and my sin. And, and we see this, I, I think we all can, can relate to this, but you really see it in kids. So I, I have a four-year-old and I have two three-year-olds. Two of them are adopted, and because they're so close in age, there's so much competition. There's so much competition, and, and my three-year-old Elijah, my youngest, Bio, he is so active and he loves to fight, like a ninja, a pirate, a sword, whatever. He just wants to, to fight. But his siblings don't always want to fight, right? So Julissa, sweet, sweet Julissa, is also three years old. And Elijah might come up to her and just be like, hi-ya, you know, or he kicks her. And she starts crying. And, and mom or dad, we're over here making Eggo waffles or something. I don't know. Who knows, right? And, and then we look and we're like, Elijah, stop it. And he's like, Sorry. No, you're not. He's not sorry. He's just saying that because he doesn't want to get spanked. He doesn't want the consequence of time out. So what does he do 30 seconds later? Hi-ya, right? He kicks her again. That, that is not actually changing his mind about sin. It's just confessing, acknowledging, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, but it felt really good, and I'm going to do it again, right? Repentance is actually changing one's mind. Changing one's mind. That, that's what it means in Greek to change your mind about it, which I, I put the change that leads to a changed heart and a change of life. All of us feel the pain and the sting of sin. All of us do. But are we willing to do something about it? Are we willing to actually turn? Repentance involves action, uh, turning away. And King Josiah knew his people had sinned. He knew he had sinned, and he changed his mind about it. And next week, we're gonna read all the ways that he changed his mind about it, and the lengths at which he went to get rid of all the idolatry and sin in the land. It's amazing. Stay tuned for next week on that. Let me ask you, what do you need to repent of today? Or let me say it a little differently. What do you need to change your mind about? What do you need to change your mind about? I'm just praying right now that God would, he would bring some conviction in your hearts. And, and some of you, you know this. You don't even need to linger. You know exactly what it is that God's calling you to turn from and change your mind about. You shouldn't be in a relationship with that person. You shouldn't be clicking that website. You shouldn't be picking up that bottle. You shouldn't be scrolling on social media. You shouldn't be living with that person. You shouldn't be having these devastating self-harm thoughts about yourself and you need God to help you. Let me just say, King Josiah didn't do this alone. We're gonna read about next week how he gets all the people in Jerusalem and Judah together. He didn't do it alone. At Fox Valley Church, you are not alone. If you try to do this alone, you will fail. I promise you, you will fail because God has meant and established his church for you to do things in community, to come alongside. James even tells us that there's healing, right, when we repent and confess to one another. 
There's prayer that happens. We need one another. And let me just say this. We, as a staff, about a month, two months ago, wrote goals for the year. What is God calling us to do? And one of the things that, that we decided to write a goal on was something that's not really a goal because you can't measure it. It's subjective. It's saying we want to see a work of God that can only be explained by God. And one of the things we wrote in there was repentance. Like, oh my gosh, if, if our people would actually change their mind about sin, what revival could, could spark here in this community? amazing to think about what God can do through, through the obedience and response of one person. What if it was more than one person at Fox Valley Church? What is the ultimate driver for this? Why do we ultimately want to turn from sin? Why do we want to uh, tune our hearts fully to God? Is it just fear of consequences? The fear of God is good. It's, it's very good and it's very helpful. And it's a, it's a great driver to, to do good things, but I don't think it's the ultimate driver. The ultimate driver is the love of God. In view of God's mercy, present your body as a living sacrifice. We love because God first loved us. That's what John says in 1 John 4. We respond to a loving God, and although the text doesn't say, I don't, I don't think it says love in here, it's written all over it implicitly. Let's go back to verse 19. Here's what it says. Uh, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. God owes King Josiah nothing. He owes Judah nothing. He owes you and me nothing. <laughs> but he demonstrated his love in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved you so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God wants your heart, and it's his love, as he shows it with King Josiah, right, relenting because he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That love is available for you and for me, and that is the driver for change. That's what results in transformation, which we so deeply want to see at our church and in our community. So how will you respond to this love of God? How will you respond? I want you to embed this question in your mind for the next few minutes, because even when the slide changes, I still want you to think about it. God has loved you. He's displayed his love on the cross for you. It's so evident. It's so clear. He wants you, and he wants your heart, and how are you going to respond in humility and repentance and the Holy Spirit's calling? At Fox Valley Church, we uh, talk about full surrender, right? Turning from what God says is bad and, and toward what God says is good, right? To, to, to Stop doing what I want to do, what makes me feel good, knowing I was bought at a price, but instead surrender my plans, my purposes, my treasures and talents to what God says. Are you willing to do that? Next week, we're, we're going to talk about, as I already mentioned, all the ways that Josiah goes to rid the land of idols, and we're going to have a chance tomorrow, or not tomorrow, you can come tomorrow if you want, but we're going to have a chance next week to actually uh, get rid of our idols together. But you know what comes first? Repentance. Do you really want to get rid of your idols? That's the question. How are you going to respond to the love of God? And in just a moment, when I pray that the band's going to come out, and they're going to lead us into a, a little special song, just for a few minutes. And this is time for you to meet with God, to have an encounter with a living God. Through We just heard his word preached. We have access to it in front of us. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We're now the temple. Amen? 
Amen. We are now the temple of God. We house the presence of God, and he wants to speak directly to you. Let's pray. Uh, Father, would we be a people that don't shy back from repentance? I I think about Jesus' ministry from Mark chapter 1. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. To Revelation chapter 3, to the church at Ephesus. You've lost your first love. Repent and turn back to the former things. Jesus, you bookend your ministry with repentance. You're all about it. And would we as your people soften our hearts enough to respond to your love and your goodness right now. Right now, speak truth as we linger. Affect our body posture. Maybe some of us need to get on our knees or put our palms in the air. God, move as only you can move right now. We pray this in King Jesus' name. Amen.